Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get going on topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636 Friday edition. Sees our friend Dan Moulton, VP in Crestview Strategies Toronto office and a liberal strategist as well as media commentator. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, made it down here all right. So. Okay. By the way, did I read that the way you wrote it? I didn't write I, I don't think I wrote that, so uh, okay. I think we got to work on that. Okay, well, you'll have to tutor me then uh, at another occasion, though. Kim Wright is with us, Principal for Wright Strategies. How's Kim? Fantastic. It's one month to opening day for the Jays, so I'll, I'll deal with the snow. Now, is that a certain harbinger of spring more so than the Masters, which is the, the second weekend in April? I like the Masters. Masters is always a really good uh, good place on that, but uh, opening day is earlier this year. So it's March. It's March 26th, one yeah. month from today. I know. All right. Uh, there you go. Kim Wright, uh, the inveterate baseball fan. And rounding out the panel, John Turley Ewart, risk management consultant specializing in capital markets with extensive experience on Bay and Wall Street. How are you doing, John? Tough day, John. It's uh, Ash Wednesday. Market's down for a third day in a row. Burning down every day. Oh, okay. It's Ash Wednesday. I was wondering. I didn't realize you were of the Catholic faith. Uh, all right. Listen, let me ask you, because you're the guy with the Bay and the Wall Street experience. Now, the markets were really taking a tumble early in the week over this coronavirus scare. Yeah. Uh, is that something proportional to uh, what's actually happening out there? How do the markets and why do they react this way? So uh, there's a number of ideas about this. It may not be simply the virus. Uh, the market has gone up fast uh, and... Um, there's a lot of people who have been taking profits, and that's what you do. Uh, we're moving into an election year. There is the uh, chance that Bernie Sanders could be the Democratic uh, candidate. And uh, while I would say his chance of being president is slim, uh, that's the sort of thing that scares people uh, from the market. So, for example, if you've made 15 or 20 percent in the, you know, the past uh, two or three months in the market, uh, you pull that money out, you stick it in bonds, keep it in cash, that money's safe. You don't put it into a volatile uh, market where you have – you know, obviously, uh, profits are going to be going down uh, because of this coronavirus. How much? We don't know. Microsoft uh, just announced that they won't meet their uh, expectations in the third quarter. Apple last week said they won't. And these aren't huge misses that they're anticipating. And these are things that they will make back, you know, once everything gets back uh, to or- in, in order. But um, people are playing it safe, especially when you make uh, you made a lot of profits recently. They'll do that. But it's not just a virus. It's not, eh? Okay. And there was a flight to gold, too, uh, recently. Uh, well, I mean, again, gold is a safety uh, safety point where people go uh, when you are scared of what's going to happen. It's a barometer of fear. Uh, up and down. All right. So you're saying uh, perhaps there's undue alarmism attached to the coronavirus thing? I'm not saying it's undue, but what I'm saying is, is that you have wild swings in the market that are impacted by more than the coronavirus. Mm. So what we may be seeing here is a combination of, of effects. That is the coronavirus, concern about, uh, about the, the, the election coming up in Sanders. And the last thing is people have made a lot of money. They'd like to keep it. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, keeping their powder dry. 
Dan, let me ask you, I mean, because it came up last hour that uh, maybe there's a credibility issue as well that the Chinese aren't telling us everything they know about this thing. And in terms of containment, uh, it looks like they might have a handle on things, but do you trust them? <laughs> uh, certainly not. I, I do think there is a credibility challenge there that uh, that the leadership of China is facing in this moment. Uh, it's certainly exposing uh, a lot of inadequacies in their leadership. Uh, the population there is feeling quite insecure and 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 I think rightfully afraid of what's happening. I will say that I think the markets are also responding to that concern. I think there is a, a, an instability in China is leading to a lot of supply questions for major tech firms. Uh, a lot of questions about where we resource a lot of consumer goods in the Western world uh, and whether or not those supply chains are stable enough to handle moments like this. And, and so I think the markets are certainly reacting to that. And I think the political leadership there has a lot to answer for at the moment. Uh, unfortunately, they're not exactly in the business of answering for very much. And so that's the challenge we face. Just a quick aside, because it came to me as you were saying that Donald Trump was in India earlier this week, and yep. it looks like he's pivoting towards India, India and China, you know, uh, well, inimical relationship. Is that a stroke of strategic brilliance on Trump's part? Well, it's certainly not new, right? I think that's been an American approach for some time now. It's one that uh, NATO countries have tried to prioritize in terms of regional stability there. Uh, I I will say as well, those trade relationships, I think, are part of what is concerning markets as well. There is a a lack of clarity in some of those key trading relationships with China, uh, with India, with South Korea, where I think Markets in the in the West were, were hopeful to see a bit more progress in 2020 uh, towards more clarity on those trading relationships uh, that we're just not seeing yet. And while there were some positive signs from China and the United States uh, late last year and early this year, we haven't seen anything tangible come out yet. Uh, th- certainly the coronavirus is slowing down uh, decision-making everywhere, uh, but certainly there, there is, a, a, I think, an ongoing question mark about what the future of trade between uh, our, our economies looks like. Let me ask you, Kim, because uh, Dan used the word certainty and predictability, and uh, this was the reason cited by the CEO of Tech Frontier, or Tech, uh, that they couldn't go ahead with the project because until Canada gets its act together on that, uh, and the markets we know hate instability or uncertainty, is that the real reason, or do you think, because, I mean, many people are pinning this on Justin Trudeau's fecklessness as a leader, and he's dropped the ball on Indigenous relationships, and, you know, for, so this thing has festered for such a long time that kind of, uh, when it took off, really, if you dial it back, he should wear the goat horns over this whole issue getting away from us. How do you see it? I think there's a lot of component pieces when we talk about uh, resources and resource extraction. And then you uh, put that with all the other things, reconciliation, indigenous communities, uh, just, you know, making sure all of these things are dotted with I's and T's and crossed and all the rest of it. For the same reason that we've also seen uh, in northern Ontario, the ring of fire be so Uh, controversial for governments to actually come to fruition. There's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of resources uh, up there as well with the pipelines uh, that could have and should have been done. But there is this constant push-pull between what we need to do in Canada from from a resource extraction from, uh, from an energy sector and what people are afraid to do because they're afraid to offend uh, on the environmental side, I think there is actually a way to coexist between resource extraction and environmentalism. Uh, I think it takes strong leadership, and I think at, for many of these projects, we haven't seen the political will. We've seen this with the with the Trudeau cabinet; they themselves are at a, a fractured over which way to go on this. Until there is strong leadership, you can't 
you know, from from an investment perspective, say, yeah, sure, we'll we'll invest twenty billion dollars into this because there's the the contracts aren't worth the paper they're printed on. We're seeing that more and more with governments who are pulling up these contracts and ripping them up, and and organizations that used to say, all right, well, if our agreement has a government signatory on it, that should be good enough. But it's not. And so increasingly, they're just walking away from these deals. Well, it also used to be said, if you get a license from indigenous communities, you're good to go. And that's proven not uh, to be the case as well. So, I mean, John, to your, uh, let me ask you again. That certainly wasn't the case with tech, though, right? Like, to be clear, I understand your point about the LNG project in in BC. Right. But there wasn't a lack of indigenous support or questions about indigenous buy-in for the tech project. That that was not... No, they had unanimous support. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the Métis are now, they're pissed because they feel like it's a squandered opportunity. The resources stay in the ground. I'm just wondering if we're at a place now in this country where we'll never get resource development uh, to market or uh, get it going, John. You know, I, I think that we're at a point where we have to change. And where your question was about feckless leadership, uh, and interestingly enough, Michael Ignatiev gave a very interesting speech in Cambridge where he talked about leadership has to have a, an embedded hypocrisy in a sense. So on the one side, you might be talking about climate change, but on the other hand, you also understand that as Canada is a resource-based economy, you need to extract that energy. And so where uh, Trudeau has fallen down is he's done all the virtue signaling to climate change, but he hasn't come out supporting extracting resources. So, for instance, with the, the whole issue out in B.C., have you heard them, you know, banging the table saying we need to extract that natural gas and that's part of our climate plan? Not at all. He hasn't said that at all. That's where he comes in for, I think, legitimate criticism. And one of the other concerns is, is there's, you know, perhaps what they're really doing is it's a political calculus here. So when uh, Quebec was building a cement factory that pumps out 1.8 million tons of carbon every year, not a word. Doesn't create thousands of jobs, not a word. Everyone in cabinet rubber, you know, rubber stamped it. Go to tech, mm, we got to think about this. Why is that? Why, 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 is, why is there a difference? Is there a difference because you need to win votes in Quebec in order to win government? And they've written off Alberta because they figure we can't get seats there and we don't need them to win anyhow? That's a feckless leadership situation. That's where you have, rather than saying as a country, as a democracy, we have to work together and be pragmatic, and you're never going to get everything you want, which means that, you know, the Greta Thunbergs of the world that want to keep the oil in the ground, that's a non-starter, not going to happen. Uh, folks who deny climate change, non-starter, not going to happen. And we need to meet in the middle, and Trudeau hasn't done that. All right, uh, and to the point that was made by Michael Ignati, if you can't always get what you want in a democracy, uh, you know, there's a rough and tumble, and sometimes... You compromise. I mean, that's what politics is, the art of compromise, right? I think we've, we've come a long way, though, John and John, since 2011, in that you're both quoting the sage wisdom of Michael Ignatieff <laughs> here on the program. It's mm. been interesting to see conservatives we respect him quoting uh, Michael Ignatieff <laughs> today and drawing his name in yeah. uh, to this conversation in such an esteemed way. He I, didn't I, give I mean, that speech for you. That's <laughs> Well, you know why? Uh, because he stated it as an intellectual rather than a leader. Uh, his leadership skills were sorely lacking, but as an intellectual, I never questioned that he had some moxie. <laughs> the, the, so the problem the Prime Minister faces is, is on a number of fronts. He doesn't have an end game with any of these resource projects. He also doesn't have an end game with reconciliation. He talks a good game. He says all the right things. He has, I guess, decent enough uh, tattoos uh, around uh, tribal bands and such. But at the end of the day, he doesn't know what he actually wants to achieve. He doesn't have a pathway to reconciliation. And so 
and and he's still taking, you know, indigenous children to court. Uh, So at the end of the day, until he gets a handle on what kind of a leader does he want to be? Does he care about the economy? Does he care about indigenous reconciliation in a meaningful way? Does he care about any of the other myriad of issues we talk about on the show week after week, including uh, gun crime? You know, nobody's going to believe his leadership. I don't care what beard he has this week. Well, I, I would say that I, th- I think we have to give a little bit more credit to the government's uh, intervention in the TMX decision, the strong support for the LNG project. There ha- are a number of projects that this government has intervened to support. But I don't know so how where you I think- will No. Uh, listen, John, I let you Go finish. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, well, what I will say is that I think all governments need to take a more sectoral approach to how we look at reducing our carbon reliance. Ontario did a fantastic job of it by phasing out the coal plants. It'd be great to see Alberta follow suit. But looking at certain sectors and saying electricity is too carbon intensive, we're going to make it green. Transportation is too carbon intensive, we're going to make it green. And stage that approach and put natural resources at the end of that list would at least give investment uh, predictability, would at least give Canadians that want to see carbon uh, reliance reduced uh, confidence. And I think that's what we're seeing, uh, an absence of from governments of all stripes. So my point about TMX is that you can't give them credit on that because they jumped in at the last minute after they made it untenable uh, for Kinder Morgan to continue. Well, I think the price of oil and made it untenable. No, absolutely not. I mean, this this is where, you know, it, it's not true. If you're getting oil to to uh, larger markets, you're not having to work under the thumb or the foot, footprint, so to speak, or the boot of the U.S., which dictates the price we're getting right now because we can't get it to larger markets. So to say that, you know, Gretchen, that uh, uh, Trudeau deserves uh, credit for TMX, that was a desperate decision that's cost taxpayers billions and billions of dollars. And we're not sure that one isn't going to be stillborn either. But to the point that Dan was making, uh, and it's been raised that the real reason, the killer for uh, Tech Frontier and other projects, because they're not economically viable. So this you- is not – see, this is – again, this is not where we are, and I think Kim had it right. You can get – you can check all the boxes in the Aboriginal communities. You can work with them and build appropriate ties and ensure that they share in the wealth. But that doesn't matter because you can have environmentalists from Toronto and other places – Shut the whole thing down because, again, there's no rule of law. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.